Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody. This is Dana Olivo with Marketatomy LLC, and I'm here with my co-host. Sandra Dorsey, founder and CEO of Sendor Capital Limited. Well, we're back again with Anjali Vaya, who is Orange County Commission represent um, candidate. And then also Jason Brodeur. Broder. 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 Rhymes with voter. Okay. <laughs> I'm French, so... E-U-R is French. <laughs> I'm sure at one point, and, and probably more properly, that's how it's pronounced. Well, my my maiden name was Dauphiné, so. <laughs> but anyway, Jason Brodeur, who is candidate for state senate. And last time we were talking, we started getting into um, the healthcare industry and having control over our own health care plan. Rather than leaving it into the hands in the hands of insurance companies, our own bodies to have control of our exactly. own bodies really exactly. is what it is. And a perfect example is um, over the last four years, I have basically gone from going to my, you know, primary care physician all the time and getting off of my medications and going more into the holistic medicine, acupuncture, you know, uh, chiropractic, you know, um, and physical therapy. And what I have found is my insurance company, um, I'm spending more money out of pocket for that because insurance companies, a lot of them do not recognize that as a legitimate expense for insurance. So what are your thoughts as far as where we're going on insurance and supporting this kind of stuff? Well, I think from a local level, um, you know, I do work with – the physicians associations as well, because a lot of, like I said, mentioned, I have a lot of doctors as clients and um, they kind of feel the same way from the private sector saying that, you know, there is absolutely no control. The person that comes in has no control. And also, you know, when you look at the doctor's journey right now, one of the, a lot of the complaints I get is half of their time goes just documenting versus service. Okay, so things are changing and they're changing drastically. And in this, again, the quality of the service you start getting from the doctor starts decreasing because now they're so under the guard of every single thing that they've noted and how it could be used against them. So we have to really think of a balance. And and you also have to look at the, um, you know, again, I come back to saying that local governance is very important because it is the relationships that you build between the nonprofits, the corporate structures, the government funding and the small business that that get then gives you a solution to the person. But when you're putting everything on government, you'll fail. Yep. When you put everything under the corporate structure, you will fail. Right. But when you come up with a solution with all of them tied together is where you'll actually have something that's presentable to the 
person. And I love that. Yes. And I think one of the places where we're going to see that happen most rapidly is through technology. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm working in, in my capacity in, in health consulting with companies that are transforming that by allowing you to keep all of your documentation with you. Right now, the insurance companies keep it. And if you change insurance companies, your medical history right. tends to go with it unless mm-hmm. you've done it yourself. Absolutely. Wouldn't it be nice if on your phone, through a permission-based app, you had everything, images, background, all your medical history, all your uh, everything, uh, all your prescriptions, and that you could choose for primary care treatment, a cash solution or at least a direct like solution. A That's right. Yes. That's right. You know, when we think about um, car insurance, if we need new windshield wiper blades, we don't call our insurance company. If we need new tires, if we need the oil change, these are routine maintenance things. Now, Health insurance is certainly much more complicated with uh, many more mandates than there is in in car insurance. But the concept is the same. For routine maintenance, wouldn't it be nice if you just had cash? That way your insurance company couldn't tell you acupuncture is not a recognized treatment. You Mm -hmm. just go do it. Absolutely. And that your health insurance is really for catastrophic care. That kicks in if there's ever been an accident or you you have to go to the hospital. Uh, And I think technology is going to help us get us there much more efficiently. Right now, if you think about it, there's a degree at your local state college and medical billing. Yeah. Billing and healthcare is so complicated, there's a state Very. college degree for it. Name another industry in absolutely. which that's the case. And you're absolutely right. And and in the past, I've worked with companies that have tried putting this technology in front and giving us control, but we're fighting the um, the individual and worried about his inf- his or her information getting out. Right. The private you know. concern Privacy is issues. one of the questions that yeah. I have. So, so the place where this is most notably changing right now is with blockchain technology. I was exactly. just saying yeah. just a few weeks ago, right. our listeners will, would have remembered our um, guest. Um, we Ward. talked about blockchains and I'm a passionate advocate for blockchain because what it does, I'm from Haiti originally, as my audience already knows. And during after the earthquake, uh, quite a bit was lost. Documentation, even government records, yeah. everything was lost. Had it been on blockchains, and I had a client out of Romania who developed a blockchain technology, and I was trying to get him in front of the president of Haiti. If you're listening, president of Haiti, um, you know, my client's still there waiting because we had a solution to get the archives, everything, every land, land titles, everything on blockchain so that when there is a national disaster in Florida needs to understand understand that as well because and you will talk about that because hurricanes we are in the eye at some point any given time we're on the eye of something (laughs) so blockchain technology is the solution talk a little bit about that well one of the things that um, had made the uh, the transition a little slower was was HIPAA and certainly everybody wants privacy for all their medical records but to have the degree of safety and security you're talking about we really needed blockchain to come along to guarantee that that wouldn't come out now that that is kind of ubiquitous you know with with everything that is going on, we're now able to knit together five or six different what used to be siloed technologies to have one comprehensive solution. And when you incorporate that with the younger generation who grew up with computers, Mm -hmm. who prefers, and we know through surveys, almost 80% of folks prefer their first healthcare interaction to be on their phone, whether they look up a rating, whether they look up an experience, Mm -hmm. whether they make a phone call. It's not like it used to be where you just make a phone call and then you wait your two weeks to go in. Younger folks don't won't tolerate that. Right. They will they'll go to some they'll they'll just go to urgent care and pay fifty bucks and deal with the consequences. Well and 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 you know, I'm gonna get back to um I wanna ask 
Angelia question here, but you're you're absolutely right. You know, a lot of these physicians are starting to go to um, more the concierge type yes, service because a lot of individuals who don't have regular, consistent health care issues, right, they may go in twice a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what they're doing. But my question to you, Angelie, is getting back to my client who happens to be an acupuncturist, but she comes from the traditional medicine side of things. And she went and she spent time in China actually studying under you know mm-hmm. your your a master teacher your, your master teachers and she would she's trying desperately to build some kind of a a partnership here to where it's it's part traditional and part Chinese medicine mm-hmm. you know to help these students what are your thoughts I think that that's where everything is going to head is like I said it is um, you know healing should be based on the person seeking for the medications or a solution to their problem. And you are absolutely right. The holistic approach is is become a larger portion um, in in the in the new age mm-hmm. versus just traditional medicine. And it, there is um, a lot of study and data that it has shown to be effective as well. Right. Um, with reducing our costs. So it can't be something that we are putting a block on. This is why I go back to saying that our local governance and the way we spend money right now as well on on our fiscal budgets we going back to jason we have to be thinking about technology everywhere we have to be thinking about smart cities about utilizing this money whether it's in healthcare whether it's in transportation, transportation. or whether it's in education or in our in our security and safety Right. Technology is the key word. It right. is going to bring efficiency and it is going to decrease our cost of spending. So rather than spending your money on vanity projects like buildings and cements, we really should be investing in our future right now by creating solutions that are part for small business as well as for our local communities on strengthening them, strengthening them using these technology solutions. Right. Yeah. And that'll affect everything, whether it's healthcare, whether it's how we get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. As business owners, as business when you owners. think about it, technology All of this affects us. Yeah. When you think about it as business owners, technology is basically leads to the processes and the procedures Absolutely. that we use to streamline the process. It right? is the glue. It is the glue that keeps yeah. the infrastructure stable. And as a small business Think of this perspective without the investment in the technology. Um, we are consumers who are now conditioned to instant information. Instant, yes. And I can literally watch my sandwich drive down the street on Uber Eats. But let's say that one of those hurricanes comes through. smile on my right? face. <laughs> right? And, and, but let's say one of those hurricanes comes through. And the power company can't tell you within three days of when Where their power is coming back exactly. on. Exactly. And I think that, and, and I've explained this to the power companies before. They think their competition is other power companies, but it's not. It's the consumer experience. If you're dealing with a consumer base who's largely used to Amazon Prime, right. I know you know when it's coming back on. So just tell me so I know when I can tell right. customers I'm coming back right. on business. I can tell employees, listen, go take care of yourself. We'll see you back in three days. It's fine, but I know you know, so now you should tell me. The same goes with government services, is that we just haven't invested. We have so many silos that don't share information, yet I can Netflix knows what I should be watching. 
Right. So don't tell that's me true. that you don't know. We that's just have true. to invest in it. Well, that's the beauty of technology, because right now with social media, people, voices are being heard and politicians are listening. So the important thing for the audience to know is that don't say that you have no power. You actually do have a power. Speaking up is the power. We want you to let the legislators know how you feel and what you expect exactly. out of their service, because you vote for them and you can vote them out. So Donna? let's get back to one um, issue, I guess you could say, or one thing that's been happening here in Central Florida that a lot of people have lost faith in. OK, and that is our transportation yes. system, our infrastructure that we're putting in place. Definitely. You know, we were all so up in the arms and really excited about SunRail coming in and having, you know, and, and it's like it's stalled. What's happening? So, and um, you know. Sunrail, it has failed for numerous reasons. A, it was it had no um, strategic plan in place. Exactly. Okay. In in one word, it was it was a project. Once again, I call it that was aimlessly put together without any. It didn't have a. It didn't even have a project development phase to it. No. On on where are the key needs? Where do the where is the where's the ridership? Where where is it supposed to go? Like it's not even connected. What are its timelines? Where where is it fitting on the time scheduling? It had so many failures in right. place. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, it hasn't really created besides its failures in just the inadequacy of functionality. It also, in my opinion, is not generating enough money because it has failed. Where now, you know, in in a couple of years, it's going to fall on Orange County, on the Orange County um, resident, the constituent, to now be put on the burden. Mm -hmm. And I know it's on the ballot in 2020 that we, um, you know, that the mayor has asked for a 1% increase, which is a penny which is $600 million. It is not a small number. And this transportation still does not have a plan put in place on exactly how, where, what, and what is the functionality going to be of the SunRail. What are we investing in when this is going into the ballot? We are once again back to square one of an aimless, without any any direction of just asking for money again. You know, and 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 it's funny that you say this or or it's it's interesting that you say this because I was involved when Sunrail was first coming on. I was involved when the Tampa Orlando um high speed they were talking about, you know, and highly upset when Governor Scott shot that down. Um but what I what I saw right from the very beginning when they were planning this is there was no strategy. What happens when the individuals are on the train and there's no way of connecting them to other transportation outlets to get them to their final destination. They didn't think about that. They didn't, you know, set up strategic partnerships with, you know, mirrors or whoever else, you know, even uh, mopeds or something to connect. And and, and I can kind of give a background from a from a history of this standpoint. You could tell we're kind of getting very. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So uh, and you're going to have to follow me on this because what I'm about to say is not going to make any sense. I blame I blame a lot of the failure uh, of the the current transportation system on the Florida and aquifer under our feet. And here's why. Really? We have some of the most unique geology in in North America in that we are built totally on limestone. And we have some of the cleanest water 
on earth under our feet. Our aquifer is pure when it comes out of the ground. And as a result, as Florida grew, it was always easier from an infrastructure standpoint to go out instead of up. Because if you wanted more land, you just go two miles that way and put a straw on the ground and you got water and you put a septic tank in. So our current septic tank and pollution crisis is because in Florida, we never were master planned in a grid. We always just went a little further out and put a straw on the ground. As a result, we had no infrastructure and we need to retrain ourselves to start going up. When you get to a Sunrail station and there's no transportation, we call that the last mile. Right. People people want to take the train to work, but what do you do when you get off the train and there's no car to exactly. take you to your office? Right. In it's imperative because we don't have the density that a New York or a Chicago had because they went well, up London right from the beginning, right. right? They All those major cities went up right from the beginning. And the reason why that's important from a small business and a government, local government standpoint mm-hmm. is that that tax base on that square inch of dirt is much, much higher. If your entire population is spread out of one person per acre over 10 mm-hmm. miles, mm-hmm. For, for those 10 acres or 10 miles, you're only getting tax off of one individual on a very large piece right. of land. Yes. Right. If you go up, you get a higher tax rate and you get eight stories of it. Right. And so in order to make the transportation viable, every Sunrail station is going to need to have four or five, six stories. You're going to need to have retail on the bottom. You're going to need to have commercial in the middle and maybe residential on top. And Florida has never trained itself to go up right. unless you're in Miami. Yeah. And, or and even Miami, Orlando. and even Miami fell yeah. fell fell on their swords with, right. with tri-state. So, uh, tri-rail. so county governments and local governments will make Sunrail able to be paid for if every station has a five or six story building because they're now subsidizing the rail with the tax rate that comes off of a very small piece of dirt. We don't do that in Florida very well, and that's really why is because for many many years we've trained ourselves to just go a little further out. It's cheaper, and there's water there right. and you don't need to and, do and, any infrastructure. And, and I understand exactly, you know, what you're saying there, but when you think about it, okay, they've they've done their TOD. They've done their transit oriented development. They're 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 they've tried doing it. It's a little bit too late is what it is. Okay, but we've got our students at UCF and we've got our people coming into one of the nation's largest airports and there's no transportation system on as far as like Sunrail or even uh, light rail. And as business owners are concerned, I mean, by having a a stable transportation system, you're going to have access to a more diverse pool of labor. So you want to know that you're able to get um, I'm going to say this wrong. Kissimmee from Kissimmee is a Kissimmee. Kissimmee, Kissimmee right? <laughs> from, yeah. you know, to Seminole County. And if you have the stable transportation system, then you can get someone from Kissimmee. Kissimmee. Thank you. Kissimmee. Kissimmee. All right. For those. And, and I'll tell you, uh, when, when we talk to um, those folks who are coming down to look as uh, what we call site selectors, let's say somebody's yep. going to mm-hmm. move, the number one question they ask is, what's the education system mm-hmm. like? Right. Number two is, how stable is your tax rate? Mm-hmm. Because they right. don't want local governments trying to put a new penny right. on them every 10 minutes. Right. And number three is, how good's the transportation network? Right. Right. And so we always point to, well, look, the Wakiva Parkway is about to connect a full service around Central Florida, and we have SunRail and all that. But without ride-sharing, how do you get around from all of these different Different things that we have? You know, another topic, let's talk about a little bit about housing. Did you have something to say? No, I just wanted to add that even with the SunRail, you know, again, the the smart city approach and technology will play a big part. 
big, big, big. I agree. Play I, on I, it, I fully agree on on you know how easily again it's going to function because right now you can't even the time timings don't work. So you know at that I'll end it. I mean the functionality just isn't there, not even from a technological right. standpoint. So you know all of these issues will need to be addressed first before just trying to say that the commission is moving forward with that penny increase. If anything, if they because just the put a strategy a together. If they would just put a growth strategy together and so that the citizens can follow it un- with transparency. Exactly. Exactly. So we can understand, okay, yes, Sunrail is here. Okay, the next one that's coming in is this, and this is how we're going to be able to do it, you know. Because when I was there, they were talking about the east-west light rail. That was mm-hmm. going to connect UCF to the airport to Sunrail. They've talked about that for a while. Yeah. And it also goes back to the transparency of exactly. where is this money going. Yeah. You know, you don't want it to, again, we get burdened with that one penny, which is $600 million. Again, I say it. Yeah, I and agree. then having absolutely no focal projects in mind. And it's just an open dart system. I agree. Okay. So we were, I definitely um, brought up the point of housing, and I want to see how transportation and housing tie in together. And as far as, you know, um, because of the congestion, let's say downtown Orlando at the moment is so congested that it, you know, someone who um, people are clustering in house in downtown Orlando to live because they work there. We had, if we had a transportation system that was stable and, and how can I say, usable, I would think people Operated would venture. Operated at hours that people wanted it wanted to. Exactly. Scheduled hours, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would think that, um, you know, it would be people would be less likely to live downtown Lambo where rent is higher or, you know, buying is higher. But talk about that. Is that a consideration as well for? So in the local, specifically with Orange County right now, our housing has inflated. Okay, and it's not in par with um, the normal wage hours that what, what the people are making. So the more this starts the more you see the sparsity in this, the more problems are going to arise. Because, again, this goes back to scaled growth and plant growth. What's happening in Orange County is, again, we are bandaging projects. And I call them vanity projects because they don't make any sense to the infrastructure. So whether it's Winter Park, whether it's downtown, whether it's Maitland, whether it's any of these areas, you're just seeing these developers coming in. And they're just doing bandage development pro- projects mm-hmm. without, again, any infrastructural studies right. done by the municipals, by the county. Nobody's looked at, you know, if we put in this big overlay or this big construction project over here with apartments and condos, what is it doing to the roads? What are the transportation What's studies the done? Plan? And what is, how is, what, what is our, what is our, when I look at this from the top, what does this look like? What is sufficient? So when, when we are just creating bandage projects all over the place, this is what we're going to end up with. We're going to end up with more issues with transportation, crime, education, because we haven't looked at any of these right. to to actually do studies and say that this project is going to come up with this. This is what we're going to need in the school system. So it all kind of works together in a way. And again, I say technology is a big portion of this because nobody is using technology efficiently. We don't even, you know, even today when we're looking at transportation, we don't, you know, Technology is so advanced right now, you should be able to just have a visionary, you know, 3D scope of this. Right. You shouldn't even have to, we shouldn't even be looking at numbers and everything. So whether we're looking at the smaller projects that are going on in these municipal cities or the county level, 
you have to look at this from a mainstream objective manner. And these dots are all connecting. Mm-hmm. And in small business, it is going to affect you because right. if, if we just continue with just pouring cement and all of these vanity projects and just using our money inefficiently fiscally, your taxes are going to go up and we will be back to square one of not having anything. Well, and, and, and taking that into consideration, you know, we should have master plans. We should. We and, and we do. But how often are they updated? How often are they visited? As far as, you know, I, I agree, you know, as a strategist, you can make a, a, a strategy, a strategic plan for just so far ahead because things do change on a regular basis. We should be visiting those master plans and updating them more. annually. Absolutely. And you also know. myself as a financier, I look at, you know, the big picture and, you know, I go back to 2008 and the financial crash. The developers are so eager to catch up on what they've lost in 2008 that they are not, sometimes they are fogged up by, you know, the fear that, you know, they will stay, you know, they'll lose again. So they're trying to speed up the process without really thinking it through. And I want to talk about at the state level, you, we talked earlier on in the conversation about small business, certain businesses were um, being penalized with so many barriers to entry because of all these requirements and regulations. But, you know, real estate is one sector that really has been sort of a, had a laissez-faire attitude where, you know, you just put on your developer hat and you just go. And I, and I you know, I'm I'm an investor. I'm a, I love real estate. So, you know, it's not to say go and regulate, but it definitely warrants a conversations because, you know, what, ha- what happened in 2008 can never happen. It should never happen again. People are still suffering under, in that sector, you know, people who are consumers of real estate. So, and the developers as well. So I want to talk about on the state level, is that is there a conversation in the state uh, as far as, you know, what we're, we can do to make sure that to protect Floridians from, you know, bad business in, you know, the real estate market? Well, I think we at the state level recognize that when you add the cities and counties together, there's about 460 municipalities. That means there's 460 different codes. That means there's right. 460 different approvals that need to happen. Mm-hmm. And so largely that's the left up to the locals because locals want to be able to control their own community. I would I would be very hesitant that as uh, a member of the legislature out of central Florida, it was my job to look at things in Duval County or Miami-Dade or Collier or Lee. Which their codes are going to be completely different. Totally different. Stuff yeah. I'm not familiar with. Their geology is different. I, you know, I don't know how far down you're supposed to drill in Lee County versus Collier. They're exactly. right next to that. So we leave that up to the planners at the local level for that. I think one of the places the state has played that's going to have a significant um, impact on how we design in the future mm-hmm. is around autonomous vehicle legislation, things like that, where right. that is going to change the uh, density on the roadways um, at the state level. I four, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if, if one more lane was going to fix our traffic problem, that would happen years ago. Exactly. That's, that's not the answer. Um, it, the environmental situation the state looks at because that's comprehensive. Um, the St. John's River has no idea where our county lines are, so the state really has to, to do that. Um, that's why our water management districts are divided the way they are is because of the, the topography of Florida. They're, they're done in a watershed way. So at the state level, we look at the, those kinds of things as the environmental policy. We look at a lot of the, uh, um, the technology stuff that's going to be very ubiquitous. So um, – we really stay, instead of the master planning type thing, we leave that to the local community. We deal with some of the other issues that, that don't know the difference in our county boundaries. Talk, just really quick, talk to um, our listeners about what you mean by autonomous automobiles. 
So an autonomous vehicle is one that is operated by a machine, not a human being. And so um, we know that many companies out there now have these that, um, and there are various stages of autonomous vehicle. So one autonomous feature that everybody's seen on TV is one that parallel parks itself. Exactly. There are further and further technologies that uh, right now there are cars on the road that you drive to the highway and then once you're on the highway you can read the newspaper until you get to the exit you need. That would scare the I know, I know, but, 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 it, but it's coming <laughs> all the way to where there's yeah. going to be driverless cars and yeah. we have to modernize our statutes to get ready for that technology because all of our statutes talk about the driver having to wear a seatbelt. Mm-hmm. Well, the driver needs to be changed to operator because there yeah. will come a time when yeah. the operator is a, a computer chip and you got to ease the seatbelt regulations because you can't really put a computer it's, in a seatbelt. It doesn't really make a lot of difference. Yeah. we got to get the liability requirements right. Certainly everyone would be scared about public safety in that regard to make right. until the technology is trusted. But think about what that does for small business if now those that don't have a driver's license can get around. Um, maybe there's uh, folks with some disabilities that can't drive their own car but would still need to get right. to your business. How great would that be? Uh, so there's a lot of new markets that will be opened up for small businesses that they currently don't have when when people are able to seamlessly get around like that. Well, I tell you what, we're getting down to the last minute of our session here, and I want to thank both Anjali and Jason, and I'm going to ask you once more, because we got so much more to talk, if you'd be willing to come back at a later date. <laughs> Absolutely. And, Certainly. Uh, you know, once you get more into your campaigning and we get closer to time, I'd love to find out, you know, what your what new things have cropped up. Well, thank you so much. I second that. And, you know, I wanted to give, you know, a plug in these award-winning guests that we were privileged to sit with. We look forward to being able to video this session so that you can see the expressions, mine especially because <laughs> I'm so passionate. And uh, I wanted to say that Jason has been, um, you know, awarded the business Orlando Business Journal CEO of the Year for 2016. Right, As you can see, he's very knowledgeable. Anjali is the woman who has... Come to the United States with a purpose and a passion and is spreading that seed. And, you know, anyone who has met her can, um, you know, definitely, um, you know, attest to that. We are very grateful that you were able to take your time out of your busy day to come and share with our our audience. And I hope you did enjoy this. And that's it for me. We look forward to our next interaction. I'm Dana Olivo with Marketatomy, LLC. And Sandra Dorsey, Sendor Capital Limited. You can reach us at chargedupstudio.live. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We also invite you to join us on Patreon as a supporter for Charged Up Studio. Thank you once again for joining us for this session. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.